0: father we love you we worship you father help us to etch those those feelings in our hearts father we might be ever grateful for who you are and what you've done we pray now father that you would pour into us that we might pour out those good things that you give us as we move out into this community father and become messengers of your gospel in jesus name we pray Amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> I'd like you to turn in your Bible to John chapter thirteen. John thirteen, we'll be looking at one through twenty, starting with verse one. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' And Jesus answered him, "'What I am doing to you, you do not understand now, "'but afterward you will understand.' that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. God's Word, brothers and sisters. You know, we have significant events in our lives where we're born, we have a birthday. Uh, we, maybe we graduation might be a big day. Maybe we meet somebody special, and that might be a big day. Maybe starting a new career, getting a home. Perhaps the arrival of a baby. Those are things that we experience individually, experiences that we have that are, are private and meaningful to us. But as a people, we have collective experiences as well, things that are etched into our minds, things that we will remember always, the moment when, uh, type of thing. Some of us here, not all of us, but some of us are old enough to remember the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And I remember where I was and what I was doing. If, if you were alive then, you probably remember it well. Some of us remember the Challenger. Uh, nearly all of us remember the day the towers fall, fell. What a tragic day that was. Those are things that we, we share collectively uh, and something that, that, that is etched in our, in our psyches as, as a people. And there are more things that we could talk about, but two of the most significant events in the history of the entire world happened in one week, and they're they're very unlike each other. They're not similar at all. I'm talking about the resurrection, and all of us are familiar with that, and the washing of the feet of the disciples. Now, not, not a lot of people pay attention to the Washington Feet. We all know it's important. We all know it means something. We, we all know it happened. But, but tonight, I want to show you how significant it was, how meaningful it was. Because in my opinion, it, it's one of those pivotal moments that all the history of mankind revolves around. And that comes in the middle of a week that has pivotal moments. It's a pivotal moment in a week of pivotal moments. And, and I, I want to take a look at it. So, Jesus had had, by this point, he had had three years with his disciples. He lived with them. He walked with them. He taught with them. He ate with them. They were were intimate friends. They gave everything they had to follow him, but they never really fully understood him. He would say things, and he would say things to us are clear because we know the end story, and they go, what's he talking about? So, they never really had a grip on, on what was going on. He always amazed them. He did incredible things in front of them. He performed 34 miracles uh, in their presence, uh, each one of them bending reality, challenging them to what they know to be true. Uh, they, were, they were all spectacular. But in the last seven days, in the last seven days before the crucifixion, everything seemed to amp up. Uh, by a hundredfold. Um, He he shocked not only his disciples, but he shocked everybody around him. And if we look at the events of Holy Week, it's still kind of shocking to us. It it, kind of warps our minds. Did this really happen? Of course it happened, but we can't imagine being there and watching some of these things happen. They were incredible. If you look at the things he did during Holy Week on Friday, uh, he was in Bethany. He raised Lazarus from the dead, Pastor Scott talked about it last week. Lazarus was not just dead. Lazarus was dead, dead, four days in the grave. He raised Lazarus from the dead on Friday. Sunday, the triumphal entry, uh, Mark chapter 11. Monday, he cleansed the temple, the other half of Mark chapter 11. On Thursday, uh, on Tuesday, he, he foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. He tells them it's all going to fall down. And as he tells them that, he says that he's returning. I, I don't think they really understood what he meant. They probably thought, well, he's going to leave Jerusalem and come back. Why would he come back if it's destroyed? So, uh, again, people don't understand everything. But on Thursday, we have this this incredible series of events in the upper room in Jerusalem. This is up in the western section of Jerusalem, which is now known as the the Arminian section. So, and and... This is all—all all the events are precipitated, beginning Thursday, by Jesus kneeling down in front of the disciples and washing their feet. So I want to take a moment and see how we got to that point in His ministry. What happened in Jesus' ministry that led to this moment that He's doing this amazing thing? Now we, we know. We know everything that Jesus has been teaching, at least we know a lot of it, and he's been doing miracles to back up the teaching. The miracles were never there to dazzle people. The miracles were always there to authenticate who Jesus Christ was. He's been telling people that, that he can uh, heal them, that he can forgive, that he came to do these things. He's been telling people that he's the son of God. Uh, by this time in, in the book of John, Uh, He is giving very strong hints that he is actually one with God, and everything that he did, every word that he said, every action that he took, every place that he went, had meaning and impact. They were all significant. Then we come to Holy Week and those events that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Now, these events are even more significant in his ministry. They're more powerful And they're more significant and more powerful because they're more revealing as to the heart of the one who came to save us, where he was in his ministry and what everything meant to him. He raised Lazarus showing that he had victory over death. Uh, He would have an even more spectacular uh, example of that in just a few days. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem is the entry of a king. He enters Jerusalem as a king. his, His Cleansing of the temple shows that he came to to sanctify his people, that he came in holiness to make his people into a holy people. He foretells the destruction of Jerusalem just so that everybody will remember that he said he would come back. So that when Jerusalem is destroyed, those people who were listening to him would go, Well, he said this would happen, didn't he? What else did he say? He said he'd come back. So he did this all so they would know he was serious. Then on Thursday, about dinner time, the Savior of the world gathers with a small group of his followers. There aren't many left at this point. They've hailed him coming into Jerusalem, but they were a little bit disillusioned. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, they're dwindling. There were huge crowds, and they're, they're starting to fall away. He started saying some hard things, so there's not a lesson. And he's, got, he's got the core group in this room. It's a hot and smoky and and dusty room. Second story in Jerusalem. You can go there and stand in the upper room today. And he does this during Passover. Uh, It's one of the highest festivals of the year. And he does it to to show them. Uh, he, he He wants to show them why he came and what he's doing. So by washing the feet of his followers... I think he just startles everybody. I think when he wrapped that towel around his waist, I think they were looking at each other and going, what is he doing? What's going on? Because number one, the only person that would do that would be a servant. And when he knelt down to wash their feet, I think absolutely blew their minds. The Messiah doesn't do this. This is the work of a lowly servant. This is the work of somebody who deals in dirt not somebody who's going to save the world. So, funny thing about this is a lot of what is happening was revealed 700 years prior in the book of Isaiah. We're all familiar with portions of Isaiah, but it's the overall narrative of Isaiah that that tells the bigger story. Isaiah starts out speaking about kings. It gets down to speaking of one king, and uh, a king who will become a servant. Now, that wasn't totally unusual back in that day. Uh, Kingdoms were conquered. There were wars going on. Generally, uh, when one kingdom conquered another kingdom, they would take that king either as a hostage and put him into service, or they would execute him. More often, they would execute him. But Isaiah talks about a king who would become a servant. A servant that we find out as Isaiah progresses is Israel. So Israel sees this. That's the way they've defined themselves throughout their entire history. They identify that. Yes, they're servants, but they're going to be redeemed. They're going to be saved. Uh, So we hear that the king is, is Israel, and we're talking about the nation. And a chapter later, we find out that the king is personified, the servant is personified, Israel is personified in one man. That's in Isaiah chapter 49. We hear that one man is the Lord. And then by the time we get to chapter 52, we hear that that servant will suffer. But by the end of the book of Isaiah, we find out that the servant becomes a conqueror. Now, that was something that the Jews of the 8th century B.C. had a hard time accepting. Kings rarely became servants, it happened. But if by any chance they did, they certainly didn't become conquerors afterward. And now, they were still thinking it was them, but they had missed the entire uh, passage about the, the servant being personified in one person. So, they wanted a Messiah. They wanted, they wanted somebody that was strong. And they had a hard time understanding the progression of Isaiah. So they wanted this strong warrior to come and deliver them. And they looked back to Isaiah thinking one day we'll be conquerors. We're going to have a Messiah that will lead us, a conquering king. But it was Jesus Christ they got. The Messiah they got was Jesus Christ, who certainly enters Jerusalem as a king during the triumphal entry, but he comes in peace. He comes in humble and riding on a donkey. He'd come to defeat sin. he, He had come to bring not military supremacy, but he came to bring forgiveness. He'd come not to vanquish Caesar, but to serve his bride. He didn't come to beat anybody up. He came to serve and sanctify his bride. That's us. That's us. Jesus calls us to, to understand all this. And that's, that's what Jesus revealed in the washing of the feet of the disciples. The Messiah, their king, had come to serve. He'd come to kneel down, to humble himself, to serve them. And this has tremendous weight to the words that Jesus says in this passage when he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, So for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. It's crystal clear that, that the disciples are to do exactly as Jesus did. And what he said he did was he served. They are to serve. Of all of the revelations of Holy Week, this one is perhaps the most startling one, but it's also one of the most significant. It's significant because it's a revelation, again, of the heart and, and, and the, 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 the calling of the one who came to save us. We are to set aside. He, 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 we're to set aside everything that, that is counter to this. We're to set aside betrayal. We're to set aside distrust. We're to set aside all anger, all vengeance, all biases, all fleshly feelings. We're to set all those things aside and serve. Now i got to tell you something. That's a hard calling. We all want to serve, but setting those things aside is not easy. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a hard calling. It's a hard calling because it goes against our grain. It goes against our natures. We don't like doing this stuff. We want to believe that we have a right to exact vengeance from people. We want to believe that we have a right to be angry, that there are good reasons for our anger. We we want to believe that we have a right and a privilege to be hurt by betrayal. We have natural biases, don't we? We like who we like. We don't like who we don't like. We sometimes mistake our fleshly feelings for truth. When a lot of times all they are just that, feelings. They're just feelings. And those feelings are filtered by everything else that we struggle with. Everything else we've mentioned here. But Jesus, Jesus calls us to set those things aside. And, and I'm going to tell you how we know this is true. He said he was an example. We know this is true because Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Judas was there when he washed the feet. He left before they did communion. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. He humbled himself before his betrayer. And he served him. Ultimately, what Jesus was doing was leaving Judas' fate up to the Father. I look back on my life, and I wish I had had that kind of wisdom with some of the things I tried to take into my own hands. Well, when he was done with the foot washing, Jesus said to them, and he says to us here tonight, in verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Realize what an incredible moment this is? Jesus turned everything upside down in one fell swoop, just like that. He literally said, look closely, boys. This is what I came for. This is what I'm calling you to do. And these are the guys that were always arguing about who was the greatest. These are the guys that very shortly are going to get into arguments over minor points of doctrine. And the thing that gets them through is remembering Jesus' example of serving each other. Of humbling themselves. So... After the foot washing Jesus continues with the teaching. And and he, he kind of puts a cap on it. He's going to preach a sermon right after this, but he describes the the ultimate act of service that anyone has ever seen in the history of the world, using the bread and wine to represent his body which is about to be tortured and his blood that is about to be shed. He serves them, and he serves them. When when he lifts up that bread and lifts up that wine, I, I mean, we see the act of service there in the meal, but he's really still saying, watch what happens here. This is my body, and this is my blood, because I'm about to walk out of this room and across the city, And down through the valley, over to the garden, where they're going to come and get me. And early tomorrow morning, they're going to nail me to a cross. So, the foot washing is a prelude to the cross. But the communion is a prelude to the cross as well. They're both acts of service leading up to the greatest act of service. See, that's the weekend we're headed into. Remembering what happened on the cross and what happened after the cross. So in Mark 14, 22, he kind of picks up the narrative here. And As they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take this, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This is my blood of the covenant. He said, This is the culmination of the promise. This is the blood that was shed in the temple and the tabernacle for all those years. It leads up to this moment. God has covenanted this moment, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So he's asking those men to prepare their hearts for what was to come. And we have the opportunity to prepare our hearts for what is to come we have the remembrance of that evening we've got we've got juice we've got bread we call them the elements i'm not supposed to say that because it's too christianese it's what they are jesus gives us this gift so that we can look back on that night and remember the sacrifice that was made for us. But not just remember the sacrifice that was made for us. Remember why the sacrifice was made. Because, brothers and sisters, as the body of Christ is his bride, what he came to prepare, we're here to serve. We're here to be messengers of the gospel. We're here to carry the love of Christ uh, out into the world. You know what? Carrying the love of Christ out into the world is pretty easy stuff. I can go witness to people on the corner. It's easy. Okay? Caring the love of Christ to the people that are close to me might be a little bit harder. Jesus washed the feet of the guy that lived with him and traveled with him for three years and was about to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He served him that's us. so that 's what we remember when we come to the communion table. But the beautiful thing about this is that it 's not just a memorial, it's not just something to remember. As the body of Christ, we come to this table as one person. We're in union with Him. We're in union with Christ. We're all one. So it's a memorial participation. We get to participate as the body of Christ, as His bride, in the sacrifice He made and the service He called us to. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to, to examine yourselves. Uh, Generally, when I do communion, I will confess sins, ask God to cleanse me. I want to be able to walk up to this table free of any burden, of any offense that I have against God, uh, or that God has against me, uh, or that I have against anybody else. And when you're ready, I'd like you to come forward. Um, We've got a loaf of bread here. You can tear a piece of the bread off, dip it in the juice, and then take communion. And when we're done doing all that, I'll pray. Holy Heavenly Father, Words can hardly express our gratitude and our thanks to you. Father, when we were when we were dead in our sins, you reached down from your throne and plucked us out of the grave and gave us life. Lord, impress that upon us as we as we walk through this weekend. As we, as we meditate on horror of the cross and the glory that it brings. The promise of the resurrection and the fulfillment of every promise that you have ever made to your children. Strike us with the awe and the wonder of who you are just because of who you are. We thank you. We praise you, Father. We pray that your spirit would energize us Father would awaken us Father and that your grace and your love and your mercy and the good news of your gospel would come pouring from us just like just like rivers of living water in Jesus name